Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Welcome to 101 Part-Time Jobs, where I speak to bands about the jobs they've done, the ones that we don't know them for. And this month is Hassle Records Month. It's their 15th birthday. And to celebrate, they're releasing a bunch of reissues, including Four Year Strong's Rise or Die Trying. And so I'm asking Alan Day all about those early years, all about the trying times they had later on in their career and everything in between. And what I really wanted to get down to was the fact that he started a Christmas tree and flower farm, which I think, given his visual appearance and aesthetic, is fucking excellent. If you like this show, don't be shy. Leave a review, rate it, subscribe. I've got a whole lot more brilliant guests to come and I'm excited about it. East London's signature brew have been brewing music-inspired beers since 2011. They've made collaboration beers brewed with the likes of Mastodon, Idols, Slaves, Enter Shikari and a whole load of others. And you can order their beers from their website if you're in the UK at signaturebrew.co.uk and get 10% off by using the voucher code 101podcast that has all capital letters. All right, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. I'm Giles Bitter, and this is Alan Day from Four Years Strong. This podcast is all about stories from those early years touring and those that, that battle between normal life and band life. And you just said that it's still kind of like that. It is. I mean, some things have changed, you know, over the years and... Like, you know, we started in a really shitty van and then we moved on to a little bit better of a van. And then next thing you know, you're on a bus. But like, I don't know, the lifestyle still the same, like being away from home, being away from your friends and family, like on the grind, showing up every day is the same. You're just at like a slightly different venue, but you have the same basic food options, even though it's a slightly different place. Like, you know. All, all those bits and pieces have have stayed the same, no matter no matter what level of touring you're doing. I think there's something to say for being at home and sort of going down the road for a coffee just when you want to in your own time. Yeah, coffee is definitely a lifesaver on on tour. <laughs> Here's what changed touring forever, which is Yelp and Uber. Like it, it's different in the best possible way. Like in the early days, you're kind of at the, at the mercy of whatever you can see or whatever you can walk (laughs) to comfortably and whatever direction you happen to decide to walk, whatever, you know, Mm. and you just got whatever you got. Like there's McDonald's here, or maybe you're lucky and there's a cool like diner or something, but man, now the first thing the first thing me and Dan do when we wake up every day on tour is we yelp what the best restaurant, the best breakfast you could possibly get in whatever city we're in and the best coffee with the best ratings. And it doesn't matter how far away it is because we're just going to call an Uber and go there because that's the one thing that keeps us sane is like making sure we're eating good and getting good coffee and not just like whatever happens to be next to us, you know? And I guess it's quite like a serious thing is is staying sane. I mean, you've been a band for so long now. Yeah, we sure have. It's been, it'll be 20 years next year, 2020. Wow. Wow. That's, that's saying we've been a band, meaning Dan and Jake and I, Joe, like he was in the band like three years less than the rest of us. But um, we, we, we um, started the band in 2001, but really the like level of touring we started doing and like being gone like for entire years and you know being as busy as we were 
I guess didn't really start till like 2005. Um, so not fully 20 years of like touring nonstop, but of course, you know, yeah. it's still a long fucking time. <laughs> 2005 is a long time ago, man. Yeah, it really is. Before Yelp and Uber. I mean, it's even funny to think of it like that, right? Funny it, was to before, think, I mean, it was even before like GPSs in a car, you know, like, like now who the fuck has a GPS? Cause you just get, get it on your phone and the directions. But before it was this yeah. like separate thing that you have in your car. And it was like this luxury that not everyone had. And we didn't have one for the first probably freaking three plus years of touring. And we brought like maps. And it's something I talk quite a lot about on this podcast, but it's that thing where we've lived through that time of we, we didn't have social media and now it's such a, it's, it's basically part of everyone's job now. It really is. It's, and it's scary because I don't know, I use it as an excuse. Like we lived through, we started the band and, and lived through before that existed. And I always use that as an excuse of like, that's why we would suck at it so bad. It's because it's new to us, but mm. there are other bands that are freaking great at it and understand. Like, it's crazy that social media has like a total, there's an art, to being good at it mm. and that just blows my mind because i don't understand it at all for real for real and i i have the same thing just as like a a fan or someone who works at a radio station but i have re i have recently realized that i mean you, you gotta you gotta do it you gotta do it and you have to you have to just lean into it and try and find your voice yeah i think that's what's important it's it's really like anything else is the stuff that works. I mean, sure, there's bad stuff that works too, but I think the stuff that really works is when it's authentic. Like, mm. that kind of goes for fucking everything, you know? Like, writing a song, it, it comes across to the listeners like a real thing when it's authentic to who's singing it or to who's writing it or whatever. And I think that that kind of is the same for social media. Like, if I went on freaking Instagram right now and pulled the like, hey, what's up, guys? Uh, Alan from Four Years Strong here. I'd, uh, you know, smash that like button. You know, that's not who I am. So it wouldn't work. People would look at yeah. that and be like, what the fuck is he trying to do? You know, that's that's not authentic to me or the band. So finding that voice, which obviously we haven't done, because if you see our social media, I mean, it's like, it looks like old guys because we don't know what the fuck to post. Um, but but if we tried to be the fucking young influencers, then that wouldn't be authentic either because that's not fucking who we are. Maybe there's a market for the slightly jaded person. There Has definitely is done? a market. I don't know. I don't know how you'd pull it off. How do you mm. be jaded but still, but still come like, I don't know. I feel like it would be like, how do you be jaded and still be doing the content? Because I feel like being jaded means you, you you stay away from it and you don't know how to do it, right? <laughs> so how do you get both? <laughs> you could start with using just lowercase stuff, like the Billie Eilish thing. She's kind oh, of yeah. got that young jaded thing. Yeah, that's true. But, but you still have to be kind of good at your grammar because you definitely like reading books. Right, right. Well, I don't know. I guess you could, instead of being the like really psyched voice guy that's smashing the like button, you could be the opposite and just, you know, do the same thing in theory, but but say like, uh, f 
I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here. This stuff is so stupid, but you know what? Like, like this, I guess. <laughs> yeah, look, I don't really care, but I'm here because I kind of have to. So fucking don't like it or do, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> lean into the fact that you don't know what the fuck you're doing. And uh, I think we found the voice of for your strong social media right here. I, I think so too. <laughs> but it's funny when you say like that kind of, um, cause, cause explains it all right. I was just, I was just listening to explain it all before explains it all before hopping on this. And it, you, I mean, you've, you've, you clearly have a sense of humor, you know, it's in your music, it's in your lyrics, it's in the way that you do things. It's got this like, you know, that kind of feel of the same way that like the Goonies does or like coming of age movies, that kind of, that's that American humor that has a certain time in like the nineties, you know, the yeah, I mean, life shit. Yeah. We, we've always like not liked to take ourselves too seriously. Cause that's, that's part of why we play in a band. Cause we want to just fucking have fun and do what we like to do and be who we are. Um, that's why we started playing music. And I think that we try to have that come across, you know, in what we do it's, you know, in our music videos and stuff, they're very rarely like super serious and like, it just, that's just not who we are. And you must've gone gone through, you know, moments in your career where maybe you've leaned into doing something that did feel weird. Oh yeah. I mean, we did a whole album cycle on it. Which album was that? In some way, shape or form. Yeah. We put out a record and I don't know. It's kind of a long story of how we got even got there, but it didn't long story short, it didn't go well. (laughs) Fans didn't like it. Um, we kind of realized we didn't even like it, you know, and I think that also stems from people not liking it. I think if it was like a smash hit, we would have been like, cool. Yeah, I, I like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when we kind of put our, it, it, it's a funny story. Like we, it didn't, it did so poorly that it kind of isn't part of our like discography in our eyes. Most of it, because we don't play it live. People don't ask for it. And um, one time we were on tour kind of more recently and we, and we, we're like, maybe we should play some more songs off of that. And we put it on on our, on our bus. Like we put it on like the stereo. And I think that was the first time ever. Cause we had walked away from it for so long that as a band, we kind of heard what the listeners heard the first time they heard it. Like, Oh, Oh, this is kind of weird. This isn't that good. You know, <laughs> like, like I think it was in a integral part of, who four year strong is and who four year strong has become. Cause we learned a lot through that whole process as songwriters, as musicians, as people. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like it wasn't that good. <laughs> We're all learning, Like everything is practicing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a thing. And I think that it's never too late to change. And I've gone through my own stuff with my, you know, my band toured in Australia in 2015 and I was just the most depressed I've ever been in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, why now? But you realize that the situation's bad and then you, you make a change. Yeah, for sure. And how long did it take you to come back from that? Oh man, a few, a couple of years. Like that record came out in 2011 and we did a couple tours. Um, the last one being Warp Tour 2012. And we were in like a terrible place as a band, like on a personal level. Um, we all 
fucking hated each other. We would get off stage every day and like just yell at each other about something and then not to talk to each other for the rest of the day and go off our separate ways. Like it was bad. And then we ended up taking like a couple years off or a year and a half at least where we didn't even speak to each other. We all went home and we didn't officially break up, but I had a phone call with Dan one day where we were saying like, yeah, we're probably going to break up. Um, and yeah, I, I think we ended up coming back to it because we all had this time at home to kind of reflect and, and try other things. Like Dan got like a job. I didn't, I just sat at at my apartment, um, with my girlfriend, my, my what now wife, um, and was just like, I don't know. It started like, like a typical like movie where she's at work all day and she comes home and I still haven't gotten out of my sweatpants and I've been watching TV. And then it transformed into me trying to find some like spark of inspiration in like different hobbies. Like I was like painting and, and like trying all these weird things and my wife would come home from work and I'm trying this new thing. (laughs) And I didn't realize how embarrassing it was until later she'd, she pointed out like, yeah, that was rough. Like every day coming home, like to you, just like trying to find something to care about since you don't have the band. Um, and yeah, me and Dan just like, I think we kind of thought realized that one day and we're like, fuck, we should probably try and write music or something. And he literally like quit his job that day and came over and we started writing music and, and that was the start of the next thing we did, which was the Go Down in History EP. Um, I mean, it's funny to think that at that point, you'd been just playing in the band. It was, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was everything. It was my fucking life. Because, sure, I had a long-term girlfriend. We were living together. I have a family and, I mean, like, parents, not like kids or anything. But, um, but that was at that time, like as far as time goes, that was a small part of my life because I was on tour 10 months a year and I was with my girlfriend for two weeks here and three days there and, you know, and living at my parents at that time in between tours. So like, what what would they say about that? Your parents and your girlfriend? I mean, obviously you got married. There's a lot of support required there, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I think we as a band were very fortunate to have very supportive like just like a support system behind us with girlfriends and wives and parents that were just psyched for us. Like, I mean, I know I can speak for myself and this is kind of an assumption, but my, I think my parents were as supportive as they were. Cause I was such a, like a piece of shit student in high school. <laughs> and, you know, when I, when I was a junior in high school, and I'm skipping class and getting in trouble all the time. And I'm like, hey, I want to go on tour because I have this opportunity. My parents are like, yeah, you have something great. Go do it. <laughs> yeah. And you shred like you both shred. Well, thank you. But <laughs> you do. I remember like we, hearing Rise of Die China. And it's like, wow, you know, like this is this is next level. I mean, yeah, we definitely took pride in trying to, 
at the time it was a little bit of like we wanted to try and show off i guess for lack of better term like we 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 like when we were writing riser die trying i think it was around then i could be wrong but we were listening to a lot of like fucking like lamb of god and like just like guitar nerdy kind of stuff that we were like well man how can we like incorporate that into what we do and i remember there are certain parts on the record that there's like a way you could play it that would be like maybe easier for some people but we liked the idea of like making our fingers look like they were like going fucking crazy so we did these like really weird versions of chords and and like open open string and like i don't know just like weird weird stuff that we thought looked cool <laughs> did you ever think about um teaching guitar was that a thing that you would want to do i don't think so i'm such a bad teacher you can my wife can attest to that she i've tried to teach her guitar and i think i'm bad at it because it comes naturally enough to me that when someone can't do it i'm just like no you, you just do this it's easy just i didn't i never practiced a technique of strumming it just kind of happened over time so i wouldn't know how to explain how to how to turn something that doesn't happen naturally into part of your movements you know I'm and thinking about strumming and, and thinking about that record i've never really put this together but the story so far i've got some great tunes and I think one of the things that makes some of their like best stuff is that kind of like the rhythm and the time signatures, I guess, which you have on that record massively. I mean, you have that as a band. Yeah. Well, cause it's all, I always wanted, we always wanted to keep things interesting and keep things as unique as we can. And that's like one element that you can incorporate. It's not just the chords, just the notes, but it's the patterns that you're playing these chords and, and ways that you, lock in with the drums and like how it all interacts with each other. And I think that's something that a lot of bands are doing now. I, I, I don't, I can't say that that was our thing. I mean, we were list, we were a big inspiration for that kind of stuff for us. It was like, I don't know if you remember, there was a band called Fairweather. No, I don't know. Day. Oh man, they're amazing. Um, the record was called, if they move, kill them. And they just had this way of like, they were playing the, every time they'd, strum a chord the kick drum and the bass would be doing the same thing so everything was like super locked in with and it was like these not that they were necessarily like coming up with this idea but that's what we were listening to a lot when we first started the band and started doing kind of the stuff that continues on in our sound because obviously there's a lot of stuff that when we started this band is not a part of us anymore <laughs> but but there are a lot of it that you know carries through our our the different versions the different like cycles of our albums and our our influences and stuff there's always stuff that carries over some of those like patterns some of those those records and you know those those songs like just the, by the way that a song is played just makes you want to mosh yeah i mean that's that's kind of the idea right i've, I've i don't <laughs> yeah. know if it's if it's rick rubin or 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 someone i read a quote that was like the number one goal when when writing a song or producing a song or whatever working on music is to have the listener have a physical reaction to it 
right? Even if it's just the as simple as like tapping your finger on a desk or or tapping your foot or or bopping your head, then yeah. bring that to the extreme of like being at a fucking concert and you have to like fucking swing your arms around and jump and all this yeah. stuff because it's just like affecting you that much that your body is reacting to it. You know, that's and like that's the a most- good litmus test when you play a new song to a crowd, especially a festival crowd or a band, you know, if you're supporting where people aren't necessarily there, you know, for you. And you can tell if like one of the new songs you're playing is like good or not. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's 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 really a sad time for obviously everyone in the world. Uh, but we put out a new album this year and it was the first time I think in our entire career that the new songs were like the highlight of the set. Like the album came out the first day of the tour. And so so it's not like people have been like living with this music. We've always been the kind of band that it takes, you know, they the, the people at the shows, they want to hear their favorite old song and the new songs take a little time to become their favorite old songs. You know what I mean? So uh, and I think we're definitely not the only band like that. You know, that's, I think that's pretty common, but I always, you know, strived for that, like the, the new song being what someone is excited to hear when they go to the show and it was fucking happening. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the whole world shuts down. Um, I mean, that must've been so fucking cool to see though, because four years strong has obviously been a band for, for so long i i just want to like applaud you for fucking just kicking it <laughs> thanks yeah i i can't believe we've been able to do this as long as we have um but it's pretty fucking cool and writing like the best stuff that you've written to date that yeah i mean obviously that's i don't know if everyone feels that way but i sure do it, the the mm-hmm. album we just put out is I can speak for the whole band when I say it's our favorite thing that we've done probably since Rise of Die Trying or Enemy of the World or probably ever. And I think there's a lot of reasons behind that. Like Rise of Die Trying was an unbelievably exciting time in our career because that was a time in which we were writing music for no other reason but to do something that we liked and that we thought like worked. You know, it was, yeah. it was, it was, we were creating who we were it, and, and there was no expectation, right? Cause we didn't really have a following or anything yet. I mean, a little bit, but you know, um, so that was an interesting time and not that we didn't like enemy of the world. I mean, I, in hindsight, I like enemy of the world better than rise or die trying, but the difference between those two albums were, enemy of the world was us like living up to and trying to exceed what we had done like on a sonic on a on a uh, like a musical and also on like a level of success standpoint right like we wanted to outdo ourselves we wanted to do better we wanted it to we needed to incorporate the elements that we knew worked about our last album and like 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 we had already created who we are and now we were just solidifying it. Right. Um, and then the rest of your career is that the rest of any band's career is that is trying to live up to what they know they're capable of on, a, you know, when it comes to 
success or whatever word you want to use there, but also giving fans what they expect, keep, but also finding that middle ground of keeping them on their fucking toes and throwing some curveballs and not alienating people. And there's this like dance that's going on, this like intricate fucking weaving and like, you know, like that scene in Mission Impossible is going through the fucking lasers, you know, like that's what it's like when yeah. you're creating music as a as a veteran. I don't know if that's the right word, but a band that's been around that has a following. You have you have rules and guidelines almost, you know, um, and this new album was the first time in. Since that first album that I felt like we were being as authentic as as we like wanted to be like i mean it's not it's impossible to go back to having zero expectation and having zero like thoughts of not wanting to alienate fans and incorporating these elements and blah 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 but this was the first time that i felt like we were focusing more on the authenticity and like making incorporating influences that were really like part of who we are now while while still thinking about like the four year strong that people know i think you can hear that i think there's like this energy that is not is not written somewhere and you can't define it but it it shows through and it's there and you know you know when it's there and brain pain has that well i'm glad it does because you have no idea how much like creative energy we were putting into this album as we were writing it before. Cause before we even started writing, we were conceptualizing, well, mm. not officially, but just like talking a lot about like, what, what is the next four year strong record? I feel like if we're going to do it, it's gotta be something, it's gotta be something cool. And mm. we talked about all these elements that we wanted to incorporate and, you know, it's really hard to write on the road. So whenever we're on the road, we just do a lot of talking about what we're going to do when we get home, you know? Um, and that was like, we were just doing so much of that and getting all psyched up. And when we actually sat down to write, we came up with the idea of like, well, first of all, we didn't set a time limit. We were like, we're not going to do this until it's right, which is the first time we've ever done that as a band. It's always like, oh shit, we should probably record a record. Ah, oh, fuck, we booked this tour. We want to make sure the the record's out for the tour and this and that, and we need to have a single by this date. So everything, everything kind of has this timeline, and and we're notoriously bad. If you ever talk to our like management or agents or label, we're like the worst procrastinators ever. So like. If we if there's a date on the calendar, we will get it done, but we won't get it done until the very last second. Um, and in the past, that always means like shit. We want to we want ten songs on the record. Okay, we wrote ten songs. That's it. And wow, any particular record in mind when you say when you say about that, you just write ten songs for it. Well, self titled, um, the one that came out in 2015, was like one of the weirdest writing and recording experiences we've ever had because there was no there was no extra material it was just those 10 songs and it ended up being 11 because 10 didn't feel like enough and we didn't feel like we had like the the right song so we just like added go down in history from the ep to it 
we didn't even remix it or anything. We just put it on. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I mean, it was such an extreme that we wrote 10 songs, didn't write a single lyric to the entire record, wrote every detail of every other detail of every song, like all the lead guitars, uh, all the intricacies and the patterns and the, like all the all the bells and whistles were figured out and recorded before we even wrote a single lyric. And you two write the, you both write the lyrics. Yeah. We, we write them together, like in the same room and shoot ideas off each other. And we basically, we were in the studio and Kurt Ballou, who, who was the producer on that one, we were like three or honestly, we were probably like four or five days away from recording vocals. Like everything was going to be done. And Kurt kept being like, uh, so have you guys written anything yet? Like, I haven't heard any lyrics. Like, what are we doing? And me and Dan just stayed up all night for the rest of that week and just wrote the entire record worth of lyrics. That's kind of fucked up. It is fucked up. And it was so stressful. And I'm, I'm kind of amazed that it went as well as it did. And the songs came out as good as they did. And I... I think, I don't know, this is kind of an airy-fairy way to look at things, but I, I, f- I kind of feel like song the songs are in there. It's always a matter of get, finding the right way to get them out, you know? Um, and, and I think that's common with a lot of songwriters and, and like that mentality of like, yeah, you just got to find a way to get that song out of you. So like all those lyrics were real and I think they would have been written the same in some capacity, whether it took us a year to write it or, or that one week, like those were the songs that were meant to come out, but it was just like painful to like sit down and be like, okay, like, and like work really hard on like a chorus for the first song. And then be like, Oh, that's really cool. We have fucking nine more choruses to write and then fucking 20 more verses. And you know, it, it was very stressful and I don't know how we pulled it together, but this time around we did not want to do that. We wanted to spend all the time we needed, write as many songs as we could. And it started to be really, it started slow. Like me and Dan would get together a couple times here and there and write a riff and write a thing. And, but then it's, we wrote a song. Um, the first one we finished for the album was, was get out of my head. And it got us so excited about the album because it was the first thing that was like, ooh, this feels like what we hear in our heads as as a, one of the ingredients on this album. And it got us so excited that we were getting together every day and we were writing and 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 just so much stuff. And we made the we made the rule that there are no rules. And we wrote because because again, when we were writing only 10 songs for our 10 song album, everything you write has to be a four year strong song. It has to be something that you can picture being on the album. So if you write a riff and it's like, ah, oh, that's not good. You just instantly throw it away and you start over where this time around we were like, I don't know. Fuck it. Let's just whatever comes to us. Let's just see the idea through, even if it's bad or even if it's too far outside the box of what four year strong is like, let's just see it through. Do you think that it fucks with your head that you're, I mean, how long have you been a full-time band? What, what year, what was the moment that you realized that four years strong was your full-time job? Oh God. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there was a moment because our whole, our like trajectory of our career was always on like a slight incline. There was, I really can't think of a time where things just like, like skyrocketed, you know, it, 
it was always very sorry i got a dog um <laughs> what's their name um well, i got two it's bandit and kipper that's bandit barking right oh, now yeah. hey bandit. Um, <laughs> he's saying hi giles yeah hey, bandit. <laughs> um but yeah they i don't know if there was like a moment where i was like oh this is what i do now because it was always just like each tour was a little bit better than the last one we were making a little bit more money we we're selling a little bit more records and yeah we were just making a hat we knew it's what we needed to do not necessarily we knew that it was what we were doing now you know like so we always found a way to get to that next level and and i, and- I asked that question because i wonder if that plays with your mind i mean writing lyrics and having that thing where you're like oh well this is what we do so we kind of have to do it but in the same amount it's from like you say it's like you're finding a way to get that song out but honestly i'm not like a super spiritual person overall but like this album was the first time like i not the first time that's making it sound like i had a terrible experience on any other piece of music i've worked on but like something was different about this album and, and, and the like pride in which like, so I say we didn't have a deadline, but once we had like a handful of songs that we knew, like, okay, we're in a good place. We, we know we have like maybe a couple sing- potential singles and this and that. Then we booked a, a studio start date, which then meant like our label wanted to hear some songs. So there was a couple like soft deadlines throughout the writing process. And, the very first one like was basically our label being like, okay, you guys have been working for a really long time. We want to hear something. We know that there's no timeline, but two weeks from today and they put it on our calendars. Like we want to hear the demos that you have. So like instead of writing more, let's finish these demos. So me and Dan just like hauled ass and, well, when I say hauled ass, I mean we procrastinated until those last few days before that deadline, and um, and then I just like I went to Dan's house in his little in his like writing studio, and we just finished these. I think it was eight songs, which is they all ended up on the album. Well, no, I think there was one song in that bunch that didn't make the album, um, but we did record it. Uh, but anyway, we had this like batch of eight songs. I think it was that me and Dan stayed up until five o'clock in the morning, like finishing up these demos, getting them acoustic. No, no, no. Full. Like we were writing everything in pro tools. Um, and like, you know, I was mixing it as we go so that it like sounded like a record. Um, cause I don't know we're kind of perfectionists. So when we send something to someone, we want them to get the impression that we're the way we're hearing in our head. We don't want to send someone something with some element of having to use your imagination to hear what we know is supposed to be there. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a skill being able to hear the potential in something. I think that's, that's why freaking, you know, A&R guys at record labels exist because they hear something and go like, Ooh, I can hear what this could be, you know, or producers like hearing a demo that's a, just an acoustic guitar and a vocal and can imagine what this this arrangement behind it could be and, and, and what the potential in that is. And not everyone has that and you can't expect people to have that. So that's always my when I want when I'm going to send someone a demo, I want to send them the most 
like cheat sheet version of it. Like they don't have to do any studying and, and anything to know the answers to this test. I'm given it. Here's all the answers. You know it. This is, you don't have to use your imagination. It's all, it's all there. And if you hear the demos, um, compared to the final versions of these songs, they're incredibly similar. Um, Will Will Putney, who we worked with, did improve upon them greatly sonically, and also there was a couple like crucial like moves that he made like structurally. I don't think I'd heard of him before. Really? Oh, he's. I don't think so. He's amazing. I mean, he's he's more in the like metal world, um, metal and hardcore. but we've known him for years because he was the assistant engineer on Enemy of the World. He was working with the producer Machine, um, and then he's been off doing his own thing for quite a while now. And we've seen that. We've been following his career and seeing the great thing he's doing. His stuff sounds amazing. So when the idea of him came up for this new album, it was like, yeah. And we had one phone call with him. And it was just like, yep, we're going to do that because that sounds awesome because he was super excited to, you know, he's an incredibly talented musician and and producer that I don't want to say has been pigeonholed, you know, but like he's he's in that metal world, but he's capable of so much more. And I think he was excited to like step outside that box and work with something more melodic and and kind of poppy, but being able to still have a part of who he was in there with like the heavy elements. And um, this is your language, right? Cause you're a producer, you've produced some great records. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a, a world that I've been in for a while now. And it's a totally different world from being an artist. You know, it's like literally being on the other side of the fucking mirror. You know, it's like, do you see that as a job? Sometimes, but I, I see being an artist as a job too. I mean, if, any, everything you do to make a living is a job because it takes work to be good at something. And sometimes, sometimes it's not always fun, right? <laughs> it, like I, I, I can't imagine a job that has zero drawbacks to like, you know, even if it's your favorite thing in the entire world, the second you turn your passion into a career it has its ups and downs there's, i don't think there's a way around that this podcast is one of my favorite things but editing it is sometimes not exactly exactly yeah like so producing records it's like yeah working with an artist in a room and like all the excitement of like writing or you know putting this song together and and making the arrangement and all that stuff yeah that's fucking amazing there rarely is a time where that's not fun but when you gotta like i don't know edit drums and like import session files and you know i think when it when it's going well it the time just flies right and yeah i think what i sometimes struggle with and i think i think it's a human thing right it's like being a sundowner you know once the sun goes down you're like you miss it even though you had it all day it's like yeah i i, I find it i struggle sometimes to like live in the moment and enjoy myself yeah i i, I try and do my best at all times i'm like at doing exactly that like stepping outside of the situation and trying to appreciate what i have because i think i would i think i would be a very very like hard person to be around if i didn't go out of my way to do that because the th- way that i've chosen to live my life is fucking hard 
like I don't care what anyone says and I don't take it for granted. I know that I have one of the coolest jobs in the world. But again, that doesn't mean it's not fucking hard and shitty and annoying. And, you know, like when you think about all the being away from really the biggest thing is like not being home, not being around the people that you love and not that the guys in my band are not people that I love. They are, but I also fucking hate them sometimes, <laughs> you know? Um, and like, listen to me. I sound like, I sound like an asshole. Cause it's also the fucking most awesome thing in the world. You know? But also I feel like you're made to feel like you should say that because you have all these amazing fans, you know, that, you know, whose lives you've changed and they've changed your life. There's yeah. this like symbiotic, like beautiful thing here, but you know, there's always the reality of it. And that's, yeah, it's, it, it's a funny thing. And I do, I, I always try, even when I'm having a fucking terrible day on tour and the show maybe isn't so great, I'm playing bad or the crowd is like, you know, seems like they don't care. Those are always the moments where I like, I do my best to say like, okay, shake this off. What's the alternative? Like, would you rather be at home like working a job that you don't care about or or struggling through the 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 few low points of something that you love right so i i I do try to do that as much as i can um i sometimes think when i was going to work where i had to get the tube you know the train to work so you know you just miss it right the the doors will stop in front of you and then you know you 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 just miss that train and like you're a bit like fuck and you see someone next to you like getting infuriated about it and you're like Ah, don't worry about it. You know, like, yeah, it's that kind of willingness, I suppose, to be upset about something. Yeah. And I think that's, that's like a personality trait thing, really, you know, like my, my wife will, will say that, like, it's super annoying how like easygoing I can be. (laughs) Because like, I don't know, it's not that I don't care about things, but it's that I like, try to see things in a, in, in always in the most positive light as as possible right like or i don't know not just not seeing everything as like the worst thing in the world right like that you miss you miss the train you're supposed to get on like what is like screaming and crying and throwing a tantrum about it gonna do for you it's literally gonna do nothing right and and you know i i know people my wife included i don't know if she'll get mad at me for saying this but like if you're like doing something and it's like like physically you're like you're trying to do something with your phone and the phone's like freezing or not that and or or not doing what you wanted to do and you get frustrated and you throw it like and i'm always like what did you get out of that breaking your phone so it never works again like you know i just I, i don't see that mentality of like i don't know getting over angry it just I don't think make, I've ever punched makes sense to me. No, I haven't either. No way. I I couldn't imagine I couldn't imagine what it would feel like to be mad and mad or stressed cuz that's got to be more than just anger, right? That's got to be like a built up amount of aggression that's like things have been happening and it, like similar to what I was saying about music before. It affects you enough to get a, a physical reaction like for emotions to turn into physical reactions like Again, this is just me, but it would take so much for that to happen. 
in but like isn't that a- interesting that you don't you know you you wouldn't do that normal day to day but then when you're playing music or when i presume that you've marched in your life that when you hear that song that you'd go fucking ape shit you know that's yeah. this magical thing about hardcore or metal or rock whatever what do you, you want to call it yeah absolutely i mean i've definitely had physical physical reactions to music in 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 that sense right like i'm a young kid at a show like and i just need to like fucking jump off the stage and start like like walking all over people's heads like yeah i've been there and that's a that's one version of it but hell i've even been on the other end of it where like i'm fucking at a show and i start crying because the music is so fucking good you know wow. i know, I know that's you, lame who are you seeing? That that t- the time specifically I'm thinking of was fucking Tom Petty, my favorite, oh, one of my favorite artists yeah, of all time, yeah. and it was I think it was as powerful as it was specifically because it was Tom Petty, not necessarily because the music moved me in any particular way. I mean, it did, but I think I think it was again that built up emotion where like i've been literally living my entire life growing up on this these songs i've heard so many infinite times right yeah and never seeing the fucking this guy in the flesh playing these songs right in front of me there was just something powerful about about that like there's something about tom petty that transcends all this different stuff for me you know it just transcends this I've got me and my girlfriend have got matching Tom Petty tattoos of um, his, his like face with the hat from the don't come around here no more video nice. on like a squirrel's body. Cause we <laughs> nice. thought that'd be kind of funny. I know I need to get a Tom Petty tattoo. It's like one of the w- one music tattoos that people, that people that know me might assume I would have because of how obsessed with it I am, but I don't. Um, and that, and so what, what year was that when you, when you saw him? At that, that, that was 2000. 2009 or 2010 maybe he looked so well until oh my god he looked so good and he sounded so good the band was like fucking incredible and like i don't know i took a lot away from that that performance because like mike campbell the guitar player was never like even as big of a fan as i was listening to the records he didn't he never like blew me away as a lead guitar player until i i saw it live and i saw what he was capable of and it blew my fucking mind and then and then that's when i i got an appreciation for his simplicity in the records is because like he was doing exactly what he needed to do and not a fucking ounce more because if he did more it w- it wouldn't be adding to the songs it would be taking away you know the, do- he, the like, documentary is great i feel oh, like yeah. you see that in the documentary yeah that running down a dream yeah the yeah, long one Fuck it. yeah, it's, it's like four hours. Funny story. Right when me and my wife started dating, somehow we ended up watching that at my parents' house with my parents. And she's not really a movie watcher. Like she's like a, you know, falls asleep during a movie and doesn't really care. Looks at her phone, whatever. Um, doesn't get like invested in movies um, easily, the, like the way I do. And and she somehow got dragged into watching this documentary and no one knew that it was four hours long it was like right when we started dating it was it was with my parents so she couldn't like you know fall asleep or like you know go do something else great great yeah but it is is a great documentary alan we've got to right of the end of this hour-long podcast i've saved the good stuff the job stuff is not a part-time job is it 
you you running a Christmas tree farm? That's a full time job. Uh, no, is it? believe it or not, it's it's very part time. I think that's why it's such a cool um, crop, uh, Christmas trees, because the scale that we're we're doing it at is is like I mean, there's there's Christmas tree farms that 100 percent are full time jobs that do that have like hundreds of acres and. Um, but we have a pretty small operation where we only have like a couple thousand trees in the ground right now. And it's like, you just kind of like checking, checking on them every once in a while. There's things you do at certain times every year, like planting and pruning and, and all that. But yeah, I mean, because it's here at our, at our home, we just like pop in and say like, Oh, we need to, we need to mow the weeds in between the trees. All right. We'll, we'll spend a day. We'll do that. So you don't live on it? No, I, I do live on it. Well, I mean, it's right across the street. I own two properties, but it's they're literally across the street from each other. So were, were you and your wife like this is something that's a good hobby that requires a lot of you know, what was the what was the concept behind it? Well, it didn't start as a, a farm. It started it's kind of a long story, <laughs> but I I found out a buddy of mine was going to be selling Christmas trees um, as like a part-time gig for the holidays. And I was like, that sounds fucking awesome. I love Christmas. Anyone that knows me that growing up or now knows that I'm a Christmas freak. Um, so I was just like, that sounds awesome. Like helping people pick out Christmas trees and being out in the cold. I love the winter. I love the cold weather. Um, it just sounded awesome. <laughs> and funnily enough, it was during that time that 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 I told you about where I was living in an apartment in the city and my wife was working and coming home to me in my sweatpants trying all these hobbies. But one day she comes home from work and I had done some research that day about like, how do I get a job selling Christmas trees? And there wasn't anything because it was like September and, you know, whatever. But there was lots of information on how to start selling Christmas trees on your own, like opening a business. And it seemed relatively easy and and relatively like low startup cost. And she comes home from work and I'm like, so hear me out. I want to like open a Christmas tree lot where we like rent out a parking lot and buy like hundreds of Christmas trees from a farm and I'll stand out there all day and I'll sell them and fully (laughs) expecting her to say no. And she loved the idea and we started working on it right away. And that was, we did that the first year. Fuck. When was that? That had to have been 2000, 2013, 2012. Um, and yeah, we, so we just bought like, I think we bought like 400 Christmas trees and a truck load, a truck just like showed up, dropped them off. We, we uh, Dan helped me actually build like a shed that I was going to be hanging out in and, um, <laughs> did it ever stop being funny the idea of it oh it was never funny to me i was like <laughs> fully in on this is this is the most important moment of my fucking life you know it's all come Amazing. down and yeah from there it, we just had so much fun with it the first year and then we we were in the city at the time um like near boston and then we bought our first house the following year which was closer to worcester which is where i'm from um which is like an hour away from boston um, and we decided to move the operation to Worcester and then we did it there for five years. Every, every year we would sell trees and, 
as we did that and we loved it and we loved the people we were meeting and, you know, customers that were coming back every year, it was just like a really fun thing to do. <clears throat> and that turned into like, man, it would be really cool to have our own farm. Like, and, and people always assumed, I don't know if it's the beard and the, the like overalls that I would wear, but people assumed I went into the woods and I cut down all of these trees myself, you know, even though I had a truckload of them dropped off here. Um, so it started to be something that I wanted. People were assuming that that's who I was. So I was like, fuck, is that who I should be? You know? And, and so as people were like, did you grow these trees? I started saying like, no, but eventually I will. Right. So it turned into this thing that was like, that's part of the plan. Now we've been selling Christmas trees and we got to start selling our own Christmas trees. And out of nowhere, a friend of a friend, kind of, again, a long story was selling a farm and we had just bought a house two years prior and <clears throat> we were not in any position or, or, or we had not been thinking about moving or selling our house or whatever, but we're like, fuck it, let's go check it out. And we saw this property and you know, we just loved it, even though it was disheveled and needed a lot of work and we just liked it. And and it started as like, well, we're going to go grow Christmas trees here. But then we bought the place and the, well, my wife had also planned be, like on doing a flower farm. Um, and that was going to be a big part of it, which it still is. And then as we started to grow the flowers and stuff that first year and, and kind of envision what the operation was, then we realized we didn't have enough room for Christmas trees. So we had to buy another piece of property across the street. Um, that's just 10 acres cleared that we can grow Christmas trees in. And so now we got this whole thing where we got flowers and Christmas trees. Do you plant seeds or do you buy baby Christmas trees to plant? We, we buy, they're called transplants. So they're like, they're like anywhere from like six inches to like 18 inches tall, um, depending on how old they are, that are grown in like at a nursery in like a transplant bed where they're all close together and, you know, not spaced like, like a Christmas tree farm would be. And then, yeah, we just, we, we transplant those into the And they're quite cheap. Yeah, they're like a couple bucks a piece, like anywhere from like one twenty-five to you wow. know three dollars, depending on their size. <clears throat> um, but I mean, then it takes like fucking a foot a year to grow after that. So when you're getting like a seven-foot Christmas tree, really, it's probably almost ten years old because that that those years in the transplant bed, like we'll get a tree that's four years old, basically. And it's fucking not even a foot tall, but it takes a long time from seed to grow. And then in, when we plant it, then it's a, like a foot a year. So it takes a really long time to grow Christmas trees. So I get mad when people complain about the prices. <laughs> yeah, I know it's just a tree that you're only going to have in your house for a few weeks and then throw out. But there's so much care that goes into growing them and so and so much time and energy and you know, every every year we we clear land, we cut down trees, we process the the land, we gr grow a cover crop, we we plant the trees, we prune the trees, we you know we mow the weeds every couple weeks throughout the summer. I mean, there's so much work that goes into it over the years, and so many that die, and you have to plant another one, and and there's so much time for things to go wrong, and 
So just so much energy that goes into growing that one tree. So when it's like $3 more than you hoped to spend, it's like, come on. What was going to happen when you were going to go away on tour? What do you mean? Were you going to get get a friend in to look after them? No, my wife just does it. You could, mean, what, it's a one-person job, is it? I mean, not. it shouldn't be, but we we make it work. <laughs> um, my my parents will come over and help like mow in between. And they must the love that. Every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, they, they have a good time. Um, and my wife has a couple people that work here on the farm, mostly for the flowers. Um, cool. But Cool. Yeah. Amazing. We, we definitely keep ourselves busy, that's for sure. Where can people check that out, Alan, if they're in the area? Um, what website? Is it's, there a uh, website? Yeah, Bellbrook Farm, B-E-L-L-B-R-O-O-K-F-A-R-M-M-A, as in Massachusetts, Yeah. Um, .com. Great. we got to plug that in there, man. Yeah, and there's a Bellbrook Farm Instagram, you know, we got we got the whole thing. I'm going to check that out, I, even though I live thousands of miles away. <laughs> well, you can still appreciate it. That's what's great about the internet. You can basically, let you can feel like you know it. You know, like I follow people that I feel like I know because I see what they're freaking doing every day. You know, whether it's like some some producer or engineer that I like or some farmer or some, you know, whatever. I don't know if I can know them, but I literally every day see what they're up to. <laughs> so right. like you feel like you know these people, but you don't. It's kind of weird and like stalkery, but hey. But it's cool you can get inspired by it. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's a it's a fine line between being inspired and being discouraged by not <laughs> not achieving what other people are capable of achieving yeah yeah it yeah. can be you and, can you depends on how you look at it you know right. sometimes i do i look at shit and i'm like fuck yeah i can do that and you go out and you get something done but other times you look at stuff and you're like man fuck how are they doing that and i'm just like fucking sitting here staring at them doing it it doesn't work yeah <laughs> it's a weird world Alan, thank you so much for coming on 101 Part Yeah, thanks for having me. Fuck yeah. Well, I hope to visit Massachusetts at some point and I'll hit you up. Please do. I'll, I'll have you prune some Christmas trees. I will, honestly, I'd love to do it. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. All right. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue ass fly. I've been working. Yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better, and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. 
My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.